Today is uh, week six of our eight-part study on the, on the church. And today I'd like us to look at what the, what the Bible teaches about baptism. I will never forget the first baptism I ever did as a pastor. It was in Marengo, Illinois. It was the year 1985. I was 29 years old and I was the new pastor in town. And I'd been at the church about three months and a man who was a few years older than me, was, was convicted by the Lord that it was time for him to take steps in his walk with Jesus. And so God led him to be baptized. Well, the church hadn't seen a baptism in a number of years, and so we kind of had to work our way through that. And so we had to decide, how do we fill the baptismal? And uh, the baptistry wasn't plumb, so, so we ran a uh, hose, a garden hose, from the bottom of the water heater, you know, up the stairs and up into the baptistry. And, and as you can imagine, as soon as the water heater emptied, it was ice-cold water. And it was December, so it was particularly ice-cold water. So they said, well, well we got to heat this water some way. And uh, they, they didn't quite know how they were going to do that. And, well, this was uh, rural McHenry County, and there were a number of cattle farms in the area. And so somebody came and said, well, we can use my cattle trough heaters to, uh, to heat up this water. And so that's what they did. They brought in a couple of them. They brought in a couple of cattle trough heaters. And I, a suburban boy that I was, I didn't know what those were. But those are heaters that they would put in the cattle troughs during the winter so the water wouldn't freeze. So they brought those in, put those into the baptistry, and over a couple days it did heat it up a little bit. It was still chilly, but it, it heated it up a little bit. But what was most memorable to me about that first baptism that I ever performed was when I entered into the water. Yeah, it was a little chilly, but that wasn't really a problem. But as I entered in, it came to my mind, and it became very obvious, they hadn't cleaned the cattle trough heaters before they put them in there. <laughs> so I stepped into the water, and there was this scum, this skin this up on the top of the water, just a layer of hay and mud and and all kinds of things, so I had to step into the water and kind of go like this to clear it off. I baptized this man, and he was picking hay out of his hair. for. A... <laughs> but, you know, it was great. And God worked in it, and, and it began a season of many baptisms in that church. Today I'd like to talk about baptism. What does the Bible teach? Take some notes, fill in the blanks. The Bible has, New Testament has a lot to teach us about baptism. Number one, as a church, we are commanded to baptize. Listen to these words out of Matthew 28. They're the Great Commission. Jesus said this just to the church, just before he ascended into heaven. He said, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, and here's the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." These are the words of Jesus. 
as a church, Jesus has commanded us to baptize people. In fact, we follow these words. We follow them to the very words. When you see baptisms take place here, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know why we do that? Because it tells us to do that right here in Matthew 28. You know, when I talk to people about our church life and people who are unfamiliar with the concept of baptism, I describe it to them and they say, you do what? Are you trying to tell me that you have a big tub of water in your church? Uh, Yeah, we do. And you dunk the people under the water? Well, yes, we do. I mean, that's just children, right? Well, children that believe in Jesus, but also adults, uh, Men and women, they're seniors. Yes, that's what we do. Well, why do you do that? Oh, that's really pretty simple, isn't it? Because the Bible tells us to do it. It's that simple. And you know, there's something spiritually settling to act in a way simply because the Bible tells us to do it. Something really settling. There's something in our hearts, in our minds, our souls, that this is just right. Why? Because the Bible tells us to. Well, in my reading this week, you know, I read about a pastor. He was writing on baptism, and, and uh, he, he, you know, that saying, God settled it, I said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, we've heard that. This pastor changed it when he came to, the, to baptism. He said, God said it, that settles it. And it really is that simple. Why do we practice baptism? Why are we unafraid to call believers to come and be baptized? It is because we have been commanded to do that. It is what the Bible said. Before I go on to the next one, I'd like to talk just a minute about the difference Uh, between an ordinance and a sacrament. You know, different churches would call baptism different things. Uh, We would call baptism and communion our two ordinances. Uh, Some churches would say baptism is a sacrament. What is the difference between a sacrament and an ordinance? Well, very technically, a sacrament, if you were going to define that, is a sacrament is a means of grace, a means of acquiring God's grace. Keep that definition in your mind. And then an ordinance, how we would define an ordinance is this way. It is something that was is instituted by Christ, taught by the apostles, practiced by the early church, and an ordinance is an outward sign demonstrating something that's already taken place inwardly. So if you take those two definitions, they're actually quite different. One is the uh, sacrament is something where you are receiving grace from God, where a grace from God is being taken from God to us by an act that we do. But our definition of an ordinance is that something has already taken place inside of me. I've come to know Jesus. His Holy Spirit has opened my eyes and I have believed. And now through the ordinances, I demonstrate outwardly and visibly something that's already taken place inside. 
So as a church, we practice the ordinance of baptism. And next week we will go through the ordinance of communion. Well, let's go on. Secondly, what is the Bible? The Bible teaches believers' baptism. You know, I just read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and the early church read that, knew that, had heard those words, and, were, and it's exactly what the early church did. They took the gospel and they spread the good news. And as you read the book of Acts, you read of a number, and I have a number of the passages listed on the outline there, of where baptism took place. And as you read the book of Acts, there's a bit of a formula that is found in the book of Acts. And the formula is this. It's always believe and be baptized. You read the passages, read all of those. It's always believe in Jesus. Receive Him as your Savior, believe, and then be baptized. And so it's a believer's baptism. Well, a question that will immediately come to folks' mind when we talk about believer's baptism, does this exclude infant baptisms? And yes, it does. In fact, throughout church history, this biblical concept of baptism was called adult baptism. But you know, that's really not quite right. Um, And maybe that's kind of how maybe you learned it. It's adult baptism. But that's really not the best phrase because children can and do believe in Jesus. And they can understand what baptism is all about. So children, and we've done it here, many children have been baptized. So it is much better for us to think of it as believer's baptism. Well, in this discussion, some will say, well, what about in Acts, I think it's 16, where the Philippian jailer, it says he and his whole household were baptized. And some would say, well, doesn't that imply that there's infants? And so if it was he and his whole household, that would imply infants. Well, the truth of the matter is it doesn't necessarily imply that. But if you read that passage of Scripture, it also says he and his whole household, but it also says they spoke the word to all who were in the household. And so there's that understanding that whoever was in that household was able to understand the word that was spoken to them, and an infant couldn't. And then the whole household was baptized. Believe first, and then be baptized, the New Testament teaches Again, before I go on, there's a couple of questions that come up. Does baptism save us? Oh, I've been asked that question many, many times. And a corollary question that I've been asked often is, do I have to be baptized to be saved? And so reason with me for a moment. My answer to both of those questions is no. Let's recite together John 3.16. If you know this verse, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, it's this great gospel passage of Scripture. It's a verse that we learn, a verse that we use. It just kind of trims it all down, the simple gospel. It does not say whoever believes in him and is baptized will be saved. 
Our salvation is a result of faith, of belief. Do I have to be baptized to be saved? Do I have to be? I often go to the thief on the cross. Right? The thief on the cross next to Jesus. There were Jesus and two thieves and one denied him and rejected The other, they're hanging on the cross, comes to grips with who Jesus is and believes. You remember what Jesus said to him? He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And that man never had the opportunity to be baptized. Well, what about a verse in the Bible? If you, if you would, open your Bibles to Mark 16, 16. Some people go to this verse, and it has maybe been trouble for some people. Mark 16, 16 says this, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. They say, well, wait a minute, that, that verse, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Is this elevating baptism to the point of you have to be baptized to be saved? Well, how do we deal with that verse? Well, we deal with that verse like we do every other verse in the Bible. We use the rest of Scripture to help us understand verses. And if this was the only verse that talked about salvation and talked about baptism in relationship to salvation, if this was the only one, well then yes, that would be it. But it isn't the only one. We just recited together John 3.16. We can just look at all the other scripture passages that it's always our salvation, being saved, is the result of belief. In fact, if you look at this verse, it also is saying it here. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And then the second part of the verse, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I mean, it's saying right here that belief is really the key issue. And as we deal with this passage of Scripture a little bit later, I'm going to talk about timing. And in the early church, um, the early church practiced baptism almost immediately at the point of belief. They would be believed, and at once they would be baptized. So the answer to these two important questions, does, does baptism save us? No. Belief in Jesus alone saves. And do I have to be baptized to be saved? No. Third, what is the meaning of baptism? Listen as I read from Romans 6. The Apostle Paul says this. There there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a great verse, isn't it? If we're in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation because of his work on the cross, because of what he did. But then he kind of goes further. He says, for the, for the law of the spirit of law. I'm reading the wrong chapter. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a great verse, though, isn't it? It just kind of startled me. <laughs> Romans 6, not Romans 8. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Then he goes on, if you're catching the reasoning here. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul's wrestling with this, applying the truth of the gospel and the mighty power of the death and resurrection of Jesus to the believers' lives. And he kind of gives us some help with this meaning of baptism. So I have four of them here, and the first one is this. It is an identification with Christ. Baptism is an outward testimony of our identification with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, it was for our sins. We died with him. And when Christ was raised to new life, so are we. And that is pictured in baptism. Just think of it. That is pictured. We died with him. We're put under the water. We are buried with him. And then just as Christ was raised to new life, we have been raised to new life. So this picture of baptism is displaying this identification we have made with Jesus Christ. And in many ways, this is a a reenactment of the gospel. It is saying it again. This has taken place in my life, and now I want to show it to everybody who's here that I have identified with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Identification with Christ, it's also a testimony of faith. And no one gets baptized because it's a fun thing to do. They just don't. Uh, to tell, instead, it is an opportunity when believers can come and tell everyone that I am a follower of Jesus. You do it in the context of the church. Sometimes it's done out in public. And whoever is gathered through this baptism, I am testifying that I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I've, through the years I've had some people come to me and say, you know, I, I, I feel like I should be baptized, but it, I, the thought of getting all wet in front of everyone, especially older folks, Maybe older women, you know, the, the thought of getting you know, my hair all wet in front of people, I just, it's just so embarrassing. Couldn't you, couldn't you come to our house and we'll fill up our tub and, and, and you can just baptize me there, you know, very heartfelt, very much, yes, wouldn't this be better? And no, because baptism isn't a private thing. Baptism is a public thing. Baptism is such that everybody who's there will see it, will know it. The gospel is pictured. Testimony is given. That's why when people are baptized here, we encourage them, invite your family, invite your friends. This will be an opportunity for you to testify to your faith in Jesus, maybe like no other way. It's a testimony of faith. It's also an identification with other believers. 
You know, you, you could just kind of see it in that early church. They, people would come to know Jesus and they would baptize them and they'd bring them down to the pool or down to the river or wherever it might be and there'd be others gathered there and people could say, oh, there's another one of them. There's another one of those Christ followers lining up with the rest of them. Identification with other believers. And then also, it's an act of obedience. God said it. That settles it. I think for many people, it's that pure and that simple. An act of obedience. And maybe you've never taken that step. Can I say, God always blesses acts of obedience. And I have learned from some, for some, you know, they know Christ and there seems to be this block, this, you know, they they just kind of get stuck and and they can't break through to, they know there's more and and they, they, they want to obey. And then, have you ever been baptized? And, And for some, being baptized is like a breakthrough for them that I was willing to obey something that's so kind of strange and so obviously not something we would normally do, but the Bible tells me to do it and I'm going to obey him in this. And God blesses steps of obedience. Before we go on to the next, can I just kind of reason a little bit with you? First time, some false reasoning. There are some in their minds, they think, well, if I had to be baptized to be saved, of course I would do it. But if it's just something that God would want me to do, but my salvation doesn't hinge on it, then, no, I I won't do it. And maybe they would never, ever say it that bluntly. But that's kind of some of the reasoning how the decision is made. And if we look at that for what it is, that false reasoning, I'll do it if it benefits me, but I won't do it if it merely benefits or honors God. And I call us tired. Followers of Jesus, I call you to higher than that. We want to honor the one who sent his son to die in our place and whatever we could do to honor him. Whatever we could do that might bring glory and would benefit him and his kingdom, we as his followers, as his children, will do it. Or, or I, think of, I think of those who, through history, or those maybe in today in other countries, of those dear ones who come to know Christ and read in Scripture to be baptized, and, and they do it, and in their minds they're thinking things or even saying things like this, it will probably mean if I'm baptized in front of everyone, my whole community, everybody will know, it will probably mean that I will lose everything. I will lose my job, my friends my family, maybe even my life. And yet to obey the Lord, to testify in this way, 
they do it. Some false reasoning. Um, would you consider for a moment some, some embedded reasoning? For everyone who's baptized, could God just kind of embed it in our minds? Here's my statement of faith. And if I'm willing to obey God in this way, I'm willing to get in front of everybody and get drenched in a tub to testify in my faith. I'm willing to obey God in everything, in this. Could it be embedded in our hearts and our souls? Lord, I want my continual statement of faith be that I'm willing to obey you in everything. And then some spiritual reasoning. Both of our ordinances, baptism and communion, highlight the gospel. They both retell the story every time it's done. Every time someone is put under the water and raised back up, it's because they died with Jesus and then they've been raised with Jesus because Jesus first died in our place and then was raised to new life. It's a retelling of the story and communion. Isn't that exactly what communion is? We'll look at it next week more. But communion, we remember his body. We remember his shed blood. It is retelling the story every time we do it. It's beautiful. It's right. And it brings glory to God. Let's go on in my outline. Number four, what else does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches the mode of baptism. And the mode is immersion. Immersion. Turn, if you would, to, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. This is the account of the baptism of Jesus. Uh, just listen or follow along. Here's when Jesus was baptized. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, Jordan River to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here's the account of when Jesus was baptized. I, whenever I sit down with someone who, and they're about to be baptized, I, we, we read these verses, and, and I, I, I do remind them that those special things at the end, you know, the voice from heaven and the, the dove coming down, those really just happened for Jesus. They, they're not going to happen for you. Um, uh, but we do see the mode here. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And as soon as it says, as soon as he came up out of the water, in other words, he was in the water. So we practice baptism by immersion because it's the way that Jesus was baptized. But, but there's more here as well. Uh, the, the word we, when Jesus was baptized in the Greek, that's a, the Greek word baptizo. 
And when the English translators, you know, they, when they got to this word, bapti, Greek word baptizo, instead of translating it like they did all the other words, they transliterated it. And so instead of translating it, they made a new English word. So baptizo was the beginning of the English word baptize. But if they had translated it, the word baptizo means to immerse, to submerge. To dip or to wash or to drench. Or back in my Baptist days, it means to dunk. <laughs> to put under the water. The etymology or the history of this word, it comes out of the cloth in industry. And um, uh, uh, someone would have a, a bolt or whatever of, of cotton or whatever material, but cotton wove, if they wanted to dye it a certain color, they would take that cloth and they would baptizo it in the dye. And then they would pull it out and the dye would drench through the cloth and change the color. They would baptizo it. That's why we practice immersion as the mode. Well, for the first 1,300 years of the church, immersion was the primary mode, nearly the sole mode of baptism. And then through the ages, uh, theology started to um, be distorted. And the theology in some church, some churches where salvation was attached to baptism. Or it got to be where baptism was necessary to be saved. And we've already covered that. That isn't what scripture would teach. But there were some that that was distorted and that became... And so what would happen is they would, there would be people on their dying beds. And at the, their last breath, they they're want to receive Christ and they want to believe in Jesus. And in their minds, those there would say, well, you need to be baptized and there'd be no way for this dying person to be baptized. But they could sprinkle them. And so that, they started sprinkling. And then sprinkling was more convenient. Sprinkling was a simplification. Simply, sprinkling, there was ease to it. And so in our humanness, we can see how that could develop. But as a church, we are anchored in Scripture... We take our practice from Scripture and we practice baptism of believers by immersion. And lastly, and let me finish with this. The Bible talks about timing. I've already mentioned it a little bit. Timing in Acts 16, again with the Philippian jailer, it says he was baptized at once. In Acts 2, it's kind of simultaneous. It talks about believing in Jesus, having your sins forgiven, being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit. It was all kind of in the... Because it was immediate. They would believe and they would take them out and they would baptize them. That was the practice of the early church. And in my opinion, this would be beneficial today. Maybe even preferable However, 
because of the faulty understanding of theology and particularly the faulty understanding of the meaning of baptism, it is usually advisable for people to have some biblical training about what the Bible teaches about baptism so that there is no confusion, so that there's no doubt that their salvation resides in faith in Christ alone. And baptism is merely, but importantly, a sign of what's already taken place inside. So could I conclude with this? And as one of your pastors, I speak to everyone here. I speak to maybe there's some here who have never been baptized as a believer. Here are the three issues of timing. First of all, the time is right. Is One, you know Jesus by faith. Secondly, do you know what baptism truly means? And third, you can know that God wants you to be baptized and to take the step of testimony and obedience. May God use these words in your life. And for us as a church, parents, teach these things to your children. And if you have any questions, uh, as the pastor team, we would love to talk with you. Like most, I'll linger up front here if you'd like to talk with me more about this. Or if God is prompting you to make the decision to be baptized, let's follow the Lord in this. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you for your teaching. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us where we had to guess and find our way how you want us to function as a church. And Lord, here with this ordinance of baptism, Father, I pray that you would continue to use it in our midst. May it continue to bring glory to your name. May the testimonies of people who already know you be strong as they go through the waters of baptism. Oh, Father, guide us as a church, guide us as families, guide us as individuals, Lord. And Jesus, thank you that our salvation does not reside in any act, be it spiritual or whatever, of our own. Thank you that our salvation is because of your free gift. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you, Jesus. We just want to follow you and live our lives for you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We all stand together.